I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy Fourth of July. Happy um, Syracuse landed a quarterback week. Happy TBT. Uh, the sport is back. Maybe not a big, big sport, but one that we all enjoy. So some, some celebratory things. Yeah, happy. There's a baseball schedule, even if we don't really know if baseball is actually going to happen. Um, there's, there's a hockey start date. Um, Major League Soccer would like to come back. It's just that positive tests keep putting that off. If, if Patrick Mahomes is listening, you're having a happy day. Yeah, Patrick Mahomes, congratulations, sir, on your uh, on your newfound money. So a, a cool half billion dollar contract. Nice. I wish I was. I was. I was that good at something. <laughs> anything. Literally anything. <laughs> Literally, yeah. I don't really care what it is. Just, just, just anything. Um, but yeah, Dan, how was your Fourth of July? Uh, you know, different. <laughs> Pretty low key. We usually have like a a cookout here in in down the Jersey Shore, which we did not do because we didn't want to invite people over. So, um, I just worked mostly. Uh, it was a nice day, so I went to the beach in the morning and kind of hung out from there. Nothing too uh too crazy, but that's just how things are. Yeah, same here. I uh I did try to keep it as low key as possible, but uh had it off today, so that was nice. It was uh it was good to just relax. Had had you know, child care taken care of, so it was good to just be able to relax for a day and, and, and try to stay offline and, and, and not consume myself with dread at, at all hours. It's always good if you can get a, a dreadless day for the most part. Definitely a positive in my book. Um, before we get to dread list days, though, we are going to have to talk a little bit of dread. Um, obviously, one of the bigger problems right now, uh, along with escalating uh, cases and, uh, you know, ICU trips and things like that uh, related to COVID, it's also just the fact that we're getting closer and closer to what would be semester starts um, for colleges around the country, and that's leading to doubts around uh, college athletics. It seems like the Ivy League is probably going to be pushing or could be pushing college football to uh, to spring. Patriot League could very well follow suit. And I know the Patriot League's already been canceling games left and right. Syracuse hasn't been affected by that yet, uh, but I would assume that that could happen soon because uh, Colgate is on the schedule for week three. It was originally the uh, the opener for, for Syracuse at the new Dome. Dan, do you think we're getting college football this fall? <laughs> I feel like every day since the outbreaks really started getting bad in like Florida and Texas since basically since Memorial Day, it's been like one percent step closer to no college football in the fall. Um, you know, you've already had like some smaller leagues like the Ivy League. Uh, they haven't announced it yet, but I think uh, on Wednesday they're going to officially make a decision. And most seem to think they're moving to the spring. Um, and the Pat League, like you said, might follow. Um, you have guys like Lincoln Riley who. Uh, obviously pretty influential figure in college football saying like a spring, you know, he doesn't want to move to the spring, but it's certainly feasible. Um, it just seems like uh, every day, like there's more evidence that that should at least be heavily considered. 
Um, and maybe you don't want to make a decision until you have to, but um, I don't know. I, I just don't know what, like, at best, it seems like in the fall we're going to have some kind of, like, you know, maybe a conference play-only type deal or some kind of, like, hatchet job of a season. And I just wonder at what point do you get to where, like, you know, being able to do something more full in the spring, even if there is, like, messiness with college basketball and other sports is preferable. And then, obviously, throwing the safety thing, and, you, you know, with the hopes that we get a vaccine by then, um, it just seems like, you know, it's a d- decent compromise versus potentially having, you know, a season you try to start totally fall apart, like what may, may happen with baseball um, or the NBA here. So, yeah, it's uh, – I think they're going to try to do a fall season as, as long as it's – potentially feasible but every day it seems less and less feasible so um i I feel like it's like 60 40 no fall football at this point if if you just ask me how i feel yeah i'm kind of in the same boat i mean i know we talked about uh you know in the last few weeks uh just the idea i had around and i'm not the only person that's you know tossed something out like this but just around you know maybe half schedule from september to november the other half in in the spring and doing every other week Um, and staggering things so that you had stuff on TV every Saturday. I just, I I know the NFL is kind of just charging full speed ahead, like things are normal, and I don't know how that's going to work out. I I feel like, you know, if the NBA is not able, right now, like WNBA uh, had zero uh, people associated with the league test positive. Uh, So good on them. WNBA might be the only league that's really like actually in action. Um, this summer because it does seem like MLB when you add in all of the, uh, the positive tests and then the fact that the teams are not going to be playing at a central location, uh, they're going to be traveling back and forth. Um, they have a 60 game regional schedule uh, that creates its own issues with regard to competitive balance um, that you and I as Mets fans, you know, probably have some teeth gnashing to do. But I think the bigger thing is just having teams flying to different cities and, and stadiums, even without fans, um, I, I'd be surprised if they're able to, to get that season um, off the ground, at least as currently proposed. Now the NBA, we'll see what happens. Um, I, I, I don't think we end up seeing a, a full season here. And I, I think everyone's just going to have to deal with, um, and then there's going to have, you know, a lot of repercussions for the business end of, of sports and especially college sports um, in general is like what happens when everything's pretty much um, stacked in a, what could be a, a February to like, you know, July timeframe next year. I and mean, we really don't know what this is going to look like. And, and anyone thinking they can really predict it um, is fooling themselves and potentially you. Uh, I, I'm just not too hopeful. And I just hope that, that, that the, the long-term financial repercussions of this um, don't ultimately like harm, you know, athletes abilities to, to, to showcase their talent, get paid and all that. Yeah, it's it's tough, especially when like there was a report the NFL isn't interested in moving the draft if college football moves to the spring, which is just a hilariously NFL story. Like, oh no, we're not going to let them play out the season so they can get the most data possible on these players to like yeah, just galaxy brain work, nonsense. Yeah, that's just work for us. Um, which is just dumb. I assume they'll their hand will be forced if it actually comes to that, but. Yeah, it's just like one of those things where obviously sports is far from the most important thing right now. Um, that being said, we would love to have sports back. I mean, I'm enjoying the few sports that seem to be getting through. Like I've watched a lot more golf, uh, non-major golf than I probably ever have before. Uh, you know, I've been turning TBT on pretty regularly, even when obviously Syracuse uh, or Bayhams Army hasn't played yet. Um, so like obviously we want sports to come back as like, you know, robust and uh familiar as we can get them but it's just hard to 
it's just hard to envision right now, just based on how everything's gone. Um, it just doesn't look like, you know, we're heading in the right direction at all. Um, especially in the places that we need to head to the right direction. Uh, and like, I'm even scared for like us, you know, obviously California is bumped back up. Uh, I'm afraid of the same thing happening in New York after, you know, a couple of weeks of, of good news, people loosen up their, uh, you know, how they're handling things and we'll see what happens. I've, obviously I'm hoping that's not the case, but yeah, it just seems like, uh, the messaging of like do these things so we can get sports back really isn't uh breaking through as far as i can tell um even for the people who you know live and die by these things yeah i i think at this point like it is startling to see how and you know what admittedly like it's not that easy there's plenty of people that that have taken tons of precautions and still end up with issues anyway i would think that if, if if you're you know tens of millions of dollar salary um you know is is completely based on you being healthy enough to play. Um, I, I would think that you'd be able to take some, some precautions and stuff like that. But realistically, like because of how all this behaves, because of how careless um, I personally think millions of Americans have been um, throughout all this, I, I think it becomes harder and harder. And, and, and the further we go along and the more people that are infected, it obviously just becomes more and more difficult for uh, people in this country to really take care of themselves. Um, e- even if they're taking precautions, so I, again, not to paint a completely dour picture, I'm going to try to pull us out of this uh, on, on the, the show here, but uh, I'm not necessarily too hopeful. Uh, you did mention, though, uh, a TBT. Uh, Syracuse will be playing, well, Syracuse's uh, alumni team, Bayheim's Army, will be playing against Men of Mackey, the Purdue alumni team, on Tuesday night at uh, 4 p.m. Eastern time. It's in the, uh, the round of 16. So it's, it's legally not allowed to be called the Sweet 16. Um, thank you, NCAA. Uh, but Men of Mackey came back uh, pretty impressively in, in their, their round of 24 game. Dan, do you think that uh, that this Syracuse squad uh, has what it takes, given the fact that they're down a couple guys um, now compared to the team we thought we were getting in this event? Um, I think it'd be a really uphill battle. Um Obviously, I think, you know, it's a talented squad. Hopefully, I think they probably have more talent uh, than the men of Mackey. Um, I think the that Purdue team gives uh, Bam's Army a real difficult size uh, mismatch, which usually isn't the case in this event. Usually, we have a pretty well-sized team, but, um, you know, we're missing a couple of the bigger guys who have played taken place uh, in the past, and, and obviously, there's no aspersions on them. This is a very difficult time to go throw yourself at a basketball tournament in Columbus. Um so the fact they have like Isaac Haas and like a couple other big guys uh, when we're going to be maybe rolling out Dante Green playing center is not ideal. Um, that being said, like, you know, if you, you just get hot, you can just kind of firepower your way through this thing. Um, so it's hard to know. I mean, overseas elite looks really good again. That Ohio State team, the Marquette teams both look really formidable. So I probably feel like I'd say less uh, optimistic about it than I have in a couple of years. Um but that being said, like, you know, anything could happen in this thing. It's such a weird time. Uh, you get a couple lucky breaks. You could have a team, you know, have to forfeit right before, uh, which has happened a couple times already just because of how stringent they're being with the rules and rightfully so uh, surrounding COVID. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's going to be a pretty uphill battle throughout. But uh, hopefully we get a nice little run just to take our minds off of other stuff. Um, it'll still be fun to watch these guys play anyway. Yeah, I agree. I mean, no Tyler Lydon, no Chris McCullough. Um, I think Syracuse has been one of the bigger teams in the event in recent years, and and, and that's had its advantages. It's also had its disadvantages, however. 
when it comes to, you know, the Elam ending and being able to hit threes at a, at a sizable clip, I think what's really down to some recent years um, is a lack of consistency with outside shooting. Um, SU, as you said, will probably have Dante Green at center. Um, Eric Thievendorf, uh, Demetrius Nichols, uh, we'll, we'll see what type of shooter uh, he looks like in this event. He'll bring in Will Raymond, a uh, small forward from Colgate uh, for the shooter squad. I think Malachi is obviously, uh, Malachi and a- Andrew White, um, how well they're able to play, I, I think, and especially how well they're able to shoot from outside, uh, probably ends up deciding a lot of this event. I mean, we've seen White play well in this before. Obviously, Diefendorf is like one of the faces of this thing, literally with the banners that they have around the court. He's, you know, always steps up. Um, I think John Dillon's playing, right? He's he's still from Dizin. He's That's, had some yeah. moments. It's what we've heard. It's what we've heard. Um, and then Malachi is, you know, one of the younger new guys. Every year we have, like, I feel like we had one. And Brandon Trish has been doing this event before. Every year I feel like we had, like, one pretty big name. And this year it was going to be Wyden and Malachi. You know, I go back to that Final Four team. Um, you know, Mal- we've seen what Malachi can do in, in short bursts. Obviously it didn't really translate to the NBA. But, you know, he he gets hot like he did in gets Virginia. And that's going to be a really difficult player for, for any team to deal with. So, you know, we certainly have we certainly have some firepower, and we certainly have uh, the ability to knock any of these teams off. It's just it's going to be difficult if we're not hitting from outside. Um, versus years past, where you know we had some guys down low, we could do it too. We had, I think, probably more options than we will this year. But we'll see. It's just so weird. Um, it's just been so strange uh, an event, and uh, with everything being kind of centrally located, and like teams dropping off. I think we've already had like what four four teams already have to uh bow out in the last like couple days even um so who knows i mean it's it's not going to feel like the full the full tbt that we've grown accustomed to uh if we get if we make the run but i think people will still uh really appreciate it and and either way like it's just nice to have stuff on almost all day every day for these like two weeks it's a it's it's i think they've done about as good a job as you can hope for for an event like this in terms of taking the safety precautions and constantly testing and actually having what seems like a legitimate bubble and not like the NBA like bubble light in Disney. Um, and, and just like saying like, you know, one, one test and you're out like this, unfortunately it stinks for those teams, but I think that's kind of what you have to do to make this as safe as possible. Yeah. I mean, obviously player safety is, you know, front and center. And I, I think that, it, yeah, I do commend them as well for, for making sure that that, you know, stays uh, of the utmost importance. Uh, I, there's a whole nother rabbit hole that we get into around Malachi and, and, and Leiden too, in terms of their staying power in the NBA. I think that they're, uh, I, I think for them, you know, injuries sustained in their first years, um, extended time in the G league, uh, just not a ton of opportunities to really show their stuff. I, I think really that's what, you know, I, I've, well, I'm not a big Bill Simmons fan, um, as I might've been maybe 15, 20 years ago, as most people who write on the internet were. Um, I, I think his redraftables uh, podcast thing he's been doing is interesting um, just as, as, as a look at, you know, what those NBA drafts look like. But the one glaring thing so far, I think they're through like 2010, um, is that Syracuse players other than Mello aren't getting, are not getting selected in the redrafts. Um, and, and it kind of like just got me thinking a little bit more about in the last couple of weeks um, around potential and around, you know, just the, the role injuries have and the role fit plays and and how these SU guys just haven't really been able to 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 break through despite what seem like promising skill sets but but of course you know then the lazy narrative just becomes you know the zone as the thing to point to and that's really not what's derailing these players 
Yeah, for those two especially, like they landed with the Malachi with the Raptors, who obviously were you know a year or two away from winning an NBA title and had one of the deepest rosters in the NBA. The Nuggets for Leiden have one of the deepest rosters in the NBA, especially. I think we discussed it like literally the podcast we did after that draft. Like, oh, this is a really bad situation for him. There are so many players in that position um, on this roster already. So, and like, I think you're right with the Simmons thing. Like, he talks about a lot about like opportunity kind of makes or breaks a lot of guys who are kind of on the cut line. So like a guy like Jeremy Grant, probably not. I mean, I think Jeremy's a super talented player. I don't know that we would say he's like head over heels, more talented than Leiden or Malachi. If you just take the, the full like range of what they did at Syracuse and like what they looked like. But I think he, he landed was seen up. as a freak athlete. Yeah. He was seen as a freak athlete with potential. I think the other guys, I think most evaluators saw them as they'd reached not maybe the top of what they could be, but, they felt like they saw all that they could have from them in the college game. Well, I think Grant, they felt like there was another level he could have hit. Yeah, I think that's fair. He definitely was the most athletic and probably the least skill based, which is like kind of a, a tough thing. Like, uh, you know, there's a, there's an interesting balance to be struck there. Um, but I think Grant also landed in a situation where he could play a role and was allowed to kind of flourish. So now, obviously he took like a little bit of a step back this year, but he's going to be in the league for, for probably 12, 15 years, assuming he doesn't get hurt. Um, well, the other guys like have barely gotten a cup of coffee and like coming out of Syracuse, I, I think they were all pretty similar prospects. Um, so, and then you can toss in so many other guys like, um, you know, Dion landed with a pretty bad Cavs team. And while he didn't really do great there, he had a lot of opportunity to do something. So he's going to probably keep on getting contracts for a while, even though he's, you know, kind of a, a interesting figure, um, enigmatic, uh, not always consistent, um, but he's had the shot to shoot like, oh, there are nights where he's going to score 30 points and like, you're not going to hit it all the time, but like he can, he can win you a couple basketball games versus like a Tyler Ennis, who I think, you know, was, was our best player one year and like, looked just like so heady. So, so, you know, well uh, established in his game um, just doesn't have that. Like just didn't get that same opportunity has played like here and there sporadically, but um you know, he's probably could be in TBT in a couple of years and that's not any knock on him. It's just um, with these small rosters and like just kind of these like razor thin margins between athleticism and stills and, and what makes a player great versus what makes a player like, you know, maybe a 10th man. It's, it's really tough. Uh, so um, a lot of it, I do think comes down to luck of the draw and like who, uh, who actually lands on a team where they can get a shot and take advantage of it versus, who gets put in a situation like Leiden where there's three guys ahead of him on the, on the, on the rotation in his position. And he's never going to have an adequate time to play. Plus an injuries factor in and, and you're out of the league in two years. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price. Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas city, go Kevin or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I think that's the issue too, like not to belabor this much longer. I think that's what happens too when you look at like where these Syracuse players have been drafted lately. Um, Like this isn't excusing like, you know, what happened with Dion or maybe what happened with Johnny Flynn or Wes Johnson, but what what's happening lately with players who were drafted kind of in that middle of the round to, to late first uh, area, what you end up with is a team that's already firmly established with veterans. And, and if they have a, a core of young guys, the young guys who they've already invested 
um, far more resources in and, and, and all that. So it does become harder to break through. So I, I think, you know, when, when you're a school like Syracuse that lately I think has been putting more first rounders in that mid to late range, that's kind of what ends up happening is you end up with, if the fit's not exactly right, you can end up getting burned out quick or like we just haven't had a guy who has, you know, maybe gotten tossed over the G league immediately flourished in the G league and then ended up signing elsewhere um, just because there wasn't a space for them, um, you know, in, in the NBA club. Yeah. And it's also, I think Syracuse gets um, like a little unfairly picked on for guys who don't end up having long careers, but a lot of it's because we have a lot of guys go in that late first, early second round where like they're expected to have, uh, you know, stick for a little bit. So like, would you rather just not have guys drafted and be like, you know, and uh, not to like demean these programs, but like, like a Marquette or so. And I'm just picking that because they were playing in the TBT game, the Golden Eagles, but like they have a ton of really good college players that never sniffed the NBA or not first round picks. They're back in TBT as well. Um, no one talks about Marquette, not getting NBA players aside from like Dwayne Wade, like we do with Mello. Um, but it's because the opportunity isn't there uh, and, and they don't even get the selection. So um, I try not to worry about it too much, honestly, like people will use it as a knock against the program, but like ultimately there are only two programs really that are consistently sticking guys in the NBA at high levels. Um, and they're the ones who are recruiting really well. So you can even argue like, is it really development or is it just like they kind of prove that they can, that they are a good place to go to get there, but is it like self uh, self-fulfilling prophecy? So yeah, I think the NBA stuff, like ultimately as Syracuse fans, like our, uh, we want to see guys succeed in the NBA. It's good for us. Um, I'm most concerned with my team with the Syracuse team winning. And then, you know, whatever happens after is kind of a bonus. Uh, and it is like impactful, but um, yeah, I try not to worry about the draft stuff too much just because it, it's, it's such a crapshoot from there. I agree with that. I've, uh, I've been doing a, a supersonics uh, season oh, franchise on my uh, on NBA 2k lately and I'm on season 16 and my, my second round pick every year, I, I burn it on a Syracuse player. <laughs> Because for the, most part, play defense. <laughs> for the most part, I'm not really like going to sign him, but it's more just the fact that I, I, I just want SU to look good that they get a name called every year. <laughs> so it's that, it's, vir- that virtual, the, the run that SU is on and that virtual world that you've created is something just a uh, reliable every year draft pick. I mean, people are saying it's biased, but uh, you can't prove it. It's like the Colts and Syracuse players in the 2000s. Like, you know, you just, they just know what they're getting. They trust the program. Or, or the Giants in the early Or the Giants. Just that Northeast football, Tom Coughlin. Um, all right. Before we head to halftime, uh, one other thing I wanted to touch base on. Uh, Syracuse has added two more recruits uh, to with becoming an improving uh, 2021 uh, football class. Uh, we added three-star QB, uh, Justin Lampson, from out here in California. And then we also added uh, Jaddy's gear. That I think really both editions were uh, me. I, I think more than meets the eye. Um, I believe they're both top one thousand players. There uh, are two top guys on twenty four seven right now. Yeah, which is awesome. And I think they're guys that, like in a normal year, would probably have picked up some more offers. And, and guys who might be evaluated a little bit differently. Um, I, I think gear show is, is, you know, yet another name that, that shows just how much we, we've emphasized defensive line in this class. And it might not be done there either. Um, he's from South Carolina. Uh, we've actually, I think, made some, some more inroads in recent years 
um, down in South Carolina, uh, which is interesting. But yeah, I'm excited about Gear. Uh, he, he seems to have you know some great pass rushing instincts. Um, he's got some good offers from schools like Georgia Tech, Kansas State, UCF. Uh, Justin Lampson on the other end, uh, getting a QB this, I mean, it's not like early, early, but getting a QB at this point, uh, is a nice change of pace for Syracuse after, you know, three straight years of, of getting a guy of getting QBs, uh, to commit pretty much like in December or later, uh, which is not ideal as, as you and I, and, and, and most listeners probably know at this point that, uh, yeah, you don't want to be adding quarterbacks that late. Cause that means that you're kind of. No offense to the guys we've added, but we've kind of been like scraping, we've kind of been getting by on on the the like, you know, option like M versus like option A or B um, for, for who we want to recruit. Uh, Lampson, I, I think, you know, was not like our first or second choice right out the gate, but but I think he's a guy that you know had had offer from Louisville. Uh, seemed like somebody who who has some potential. Uh, and, and obviously, like, it's just good to have that spot filled now. And then we can focus on the other areas that that this team needs. Yeah, it's it's our it's basically our first, like, early to middle of the cycle quarterback commit since DeVito. Um, DeVito was very early. Um, it was April, which is like, which is which was super helpful in that class. Yeah, that's like what you ideally what you want. I think if you can start off with a quarterback who you know, has that natural leadership ability who takes over as like the, the other recruiter on top of the coaching staff that helps. Um, that doesn't mean that Lampson can't do it now. Um, and then summer's still like a totally fine time for this. I mean, we just saw Caleb Williams, the number one quarterback in the country committed, uh, I think on Saturday night. So he was right around the same time to Oklahoma. Um, but uh, watching a decent amount of stuff from Lampson, um, he's, I'm really impressed. I, I am very excited to have him on campus. Um, a, I think one of the cool things with him, um, aside from coming from like a weirdly like kind of it seems like under recruited part of California in the Sacramento area, um, apparently he's only been playing quarterback for like, like around two years. So I think there's a lot of growth potential here. And even so, just watching his, his some of the highlight tapes that are out there, um, he seems to have a really like keen uh natural accuracy and awareness down the field like you see a lot of plays break down i don't think he has a great offensive line based on what i've seen um which is probably a valuable experience coming to syracuse um but you see a lot of plays where he has a crowded backfield or he has to to move the pocket or scramble and he never takes his eyes off of uh passing downfield he finds receivers who are um kind of come out of unsettled situations uh, pretty frequently. He think he completed like 66% of his passes in his first year starter. He's pretty athletic. Um, not quite like the bruiser that Dungy is, um, but, uh, you know, one of those guys who knows how to use his legs to, to get things done. Um, but definitely, like, I think the best quarterback tape I've seen um, since we got DeVito and, like, definitely looks like a guy that like, that, that projects as, like, oh, he's going to be a, a power five starter. And he also fits some balls in some really, really tight uh, impressive windows but um there's definitely a lot to like if you go check check some of that stuff out and obviously highlights are highlights but for a guy who doesn't have a ton of like you know the years on years of quarterback coaches and all that stuff as far as i can tell and who's kind of just learning the position now um i think there's some real high upside there and i think uh there's a decent chance that that's what a lot of the coaching staff really likes about him is they can they don't have to unteach bad habits they can um really grow him how they see fit versus like you know a lot of these guys and it's probably to their to their uh benefit for the most part but are coming in as like the quarterback they've been groomed to be since they were like nine or ten years old where 
Lambson was playing safety uh, like a year or two ago. So, um, yeah, really excited about it. I think he's a, a really quality commit, and, and I'm, you know, can't wait to see him uh, see him in the orange. Yeah, I mean, probably a few years before we see him hit the field, but uh, once he gets on campus, he'll probably have uh, at least a year to redshirt, uh, learn a little bit from Tommy DeVito and some of the other incumbent quarterbacks. Um, hopefully, you know, Sterling Gilbert and Dino Babers are both still around uh, when he gets to campus too, and he's actually able to to learn a bunch from those guys. Uh, I, I, I like the fact that, that you know, obviously, like, it, it doesn't really matter where you get talent from as long as it's talent, um, and, and, and you're, you're improving the class over time. Uh, I, I do think SU's ability to kind of, um, you know, go across the country and, and, and bring in a guy who was maybe under-recruited um, does have some shades of Eric Dungy uh, to it, which I'm sure uh, excites numerous corners of the fan base. Uh, but we'll see. Uh, I, I don't think we see Lampson on the field probably before 2022, but I guess you never know. We said the same thing about Dungy and, uh, and look what happened four years later. Yeah. Uh, hopefully it's not in a similar situation uh, right. as Dungy, but um, obviously that ended up working out pretty well overall. I mean, if he's as you know, close to as successful as Dungy, I think we'll be very happy. Um, I think the, the, the class breakdown right now in terms of state, as you were talking to discussing is, is super interesting. Um, Basically, we have four places where we've gotten two kids from each, New York, uh, which, you know, you look for Pennsylvania, classic spot for us, Illinois, where we've recruited pretty heavily in recent years. And then South Carolina, not where you would expect, um, but with uh, J.D.S. Deer and uh, we have one more player from there, uh, Kendall Long, both coming from uh, South Carolina, which has never been a hugely, uh, a huge state for us. But um, it is interesting that we're, you know, we're focusing on Georgia more over the last couple of years. Um, more of these ACC type territories, which I think is smart. Um, you know, we can t- tell those kids we can go to Clemson twice during your career if you're here for four years. Um, but then having, you know, out to California, Hawaii, obviously, Babers has connections out there, but then also, um, hitting the Midwest with Michigan and Wisconsin and uh, Massachusetts did. So it's like this is a very much a aside from the lack of New Jersey commits so far. Uh, and obviously, we have, uh, you know, some some offers out there, and hopefully, we'll get a couple of those kids. But this is a very classic Syracuse class and something that we were kind of going away from for a while. But I think Babers is really starting to figure out, like, what the bread and butter is uh, in terms of uh, the the territories and how, you know, we're, we're, we're going to be at our best if we're able to kind of pick and choose and nationally recruit the guys who are fl- uh, flying under the radar for their uh, big time schools in their areas. Uh, so hopefully this is a, you know, continues to, to keep on rolling. But I think this class is forming out or filling out really nicely. Yeah, I agree. And, and what's I think most interesting to me too, is like, there's a, so far at least there's a lack of Florida commits and there's only a handful of guys that like, we're really like high on um, from Florida. I know recent classes uh, with Nick Monroe uh, have kind of been, you know, Florida heavy. Uh, and Dino mentioned like a month ago on that uh, conference call he did with media uh, that the DMV is, is once again becoming a, a bigger focus. I know it was when he first got to campus, and then it kind of disappeared a little bit. Um, and it seemed like, you know, the higher Chip West um, hopefully has, you know, SU getting into those conversations again. Uh, we don't really have anybody from down there just yet. Uh, I don't know if – but you and I have talked about this too. I don't know how easy it's going to be to evaluate, um, you know, philosophy necessarily um, when looking at this class – uh, just because of the, the extra challenges, I, I think you're going to see more New York kids than than Vino may ever have again. Um, and again, not a slight on New York talent. I think it's just uh, a fact of th- these are kids we probably had the most exposure to um, over time. So you're just probably going to be able to, to see more of them 
and probably had more of them at camp, probably able to just keep in touch with them. They're the kids most likely to be able to have traveled to campus either before um, COVID or since. Um, I know there's been some kids who've been able to do um, on campus, like, you know, distance tours. Um, and then everybody else is kind of um, forced to do things more virtually. I, I think that the Georgia focus uh, recently is something interesting, especially like I think it was a big focus um, under Scott Schaefer. And then SU kind of got away from it um, under Babers. So it's interesting to see us uh, be able to go into Georgia again. I, I don't really know what this class turns into just yet. And right now we're kind of hovering around that top 50 range and there's still a lot of time to go. Um, and it's really stupid to, to even start banking on those numbers, um, staying consistent, uh, you know, as, as this class, you know, continues rounding to form and, and all the other traditional powers um, start bringing in talent. But it's interesting at, at the very least. And, uh, and I'm, I'm excited about what's going on uh, with this group. I'm hoping we hear, uh, we, still get a, we still get offers out. We're still competing for a handful of, uh, of four-star type guys. You know, George Rooks is really the name that everybody's, uh, you know, kind of, kind of looking out for. And I think, you know, Michigan is likely our primary competition there. Yeah. Uh, Florida was a I, obviously I forgot them. Um, that's the other place, and I, I assume that by the end of the cycle we'll have at least a couple Florida kids. Um, there's so much talent down there that I think you end up getting. You know, you have a lot of those guys to meet late in the cycle, especially after they kind of weigh their options and see what's local and what's not. Um, but that's always going to be a factor. But otherwise, like it does seem like Babers is starting to figure out kind of what coaches in the past have figured out in terms of what works for Syracuse recruiting. Um, but this year's always going to be graded on like a weird like curve, if not just like who knows, because there's so uh, there's such a, a gap of evaluation compared to other classes, um, and you kind of see it even when some of these guys have committed. Obviously, we, I, I feel like we've had a number a number of guys who commit, and then like a couple of days later they jump up in the rankings. It's happened with both Deer and Lampson, um, but who knows? I mean, if the, if there are uh, if there's a high school football season this fall, you could see some of these guys uh, jump up. If there's any kind of camps at some point later this summer, you could see it. So it's, it's definitely a, an unprecedented year, um, which makes it hard to like really get worked up in either direction over like, Oh, this is going to be the best class, you know, we've had so far under Babers or like, you know, yet another like mid fifties class. Um, but again, it's, it's, there's so little information out there about a lot of these like kind of mid tier prospects that nothing would super surprise me. Um, but I think it's it's one of the situations where you try to you try to trust the recruit the uh, the coaching staff and the recruiting staff more because they are working with a lot more information than we are um, even to a higher degree than that's usually the case because you know usually there are camps and you're seeing like the twenty four seven and the rivals dies you know get some solid evaluations of these guys even if you know you aren't the 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 bigger the biggest believer in those sites at least it's something um, for this like the coaches are definitely working with a lot more information about a lot of these guys that weren't on the big, uh, on the camp, uh, you know, getting into all these camps and getting uh, super early evaluations. So, um, you know, we talk about it a lot. It's just a, a very strange, strange year for everything in sports and, and recruiting is certainly a big part of that. So, uh, you know, hopefully things keep on going in the right direction though. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty cautiously optimistic uh, about this group. I would agree. So, Dan, before we move on to the second half, we're going to be talking about the Big Ten. Uh, what have you been drinking? Um, going back to some of the wells, uh, I was in New York. Now I'm in New Jersey. Um, was, had some pocket wrench, which I forget if I brought up last week, uh, brought up last week from Industrial Arts. Um, have a, a small growler of that waiting for me back up there. 
Um, had some uh, Frankie uh, fruit ale from Zero Gravity in Vermont, which is really good. Um, and then more heavy real stuff from down in Seaside Heights, uh, down here in Jersey. Had some more Ryan's beer, had some Midway Beach. Have a couple others in the fridge that I haven't had yet. Um, also had a love orange creamsicle, which I wasn't in love with, uh, no pun intended. I uh, thought I would like a little bit more. I the flavors didn't totally work for me, but it was definitely interesting. Um, but their stuff generally has been quite good. So, um, you know, still hit, hammering home the uh, the local stuff for the most part. Very nice. Uh, pretty, I mean, I drank plenty of beer this past weekend, but it was all from Highland Park. Uh, all beers I've mentioned before at one point or another. Had some uh, Pleasant Pills, some Timbo Pills, and some uh, Hello LA um, IPA. So between those three, I was uh, I was pretty set for the weekend. It was nice to just be able to relax with uh, with at least a few of those brews. I know uh, I'll be getting from a mysterious benefactor some uh, some Hill Farmstead uh, sent my way in the next week or so. So I'm very much looking forward to uh, to diving into that once uh, once it arrives. Very nice, indeed. indeed. Uh, all right, Dan. So let's talk Big Ten. What a uh, I guess first and foremost, um, do you think that that Syracuse will actually end up playing at Rutgers this season? Um, I'm going to go ahead and say no because Rutgers seems like one of the schools that's most uh, openly questioning whether a season's going to happen at all. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I, I'm not seeing. I, I, I'm, I'm actually not seeing non-conference happening at all, uh, which makes me wonder: Wouldn't it be entertaining if SU was able to benefit from this? From a scheduling standpoint, like like after being like woefully behind scheduling and and like not really getting schedules all that set for for future years, then while everybody else is scrambling and figuring out ways to like mess around with schedules and like having to fit stuff into like twenty thirty five, we're just like, like we're open, baby. Yeah, like we're open. Like just just kick just it down the road. Yeah, just, <laughs> just kick that can a couple of years and we'll see you again. Herb, Herb just retires and rides off into the sunset. It's like I got a schedule through 2027. Oh, that's really funny. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, it's uh it's hard to see. I mean, it it's so weird though, because like there really isn't anything about non-conference games that make them more uh to like more dangerous or whatever than conference games. If we're like being very honest about it. Um really it's just it's just about reducing the amount, but like I think I'd rather play Rutgers than I'd play, you know, Florida, not talent aside, like Florida State right now or Clemson where there's like a huge outbreak. Yeah, do we want to trade Clemson away for Rutgers this season? The Big Ten would. Um, (laughs) I'm going to say, I mean, like if if we're just building our schedule, like this would be the year. And we talked about it, I think, a couple weeks ago for the the Northeast Northeast bubble, um, especially now as uh, the way things are progressing. But um, it does seem like that's a distinct possibility that the conference is just like, we'll just keep this in-house um, just to limit the number of games, which I guess there is some merit for. Um, it's just funny because, like, limiting us to games with teams in the Southeast isn't exactly like, you know, saying, oh, this is going to be great for, for health reasons. Um, but, yeah, it's – I mean, Rutgers, I think their new president has already expressed, like, real questions about the season happening. Um so I, I, as I said earlier, I said like 60, 40, no season, I think, or no fall season. So I think that would um, bring in the Rutgers game, um, which I mean, the, Rutgers is going to be interesting, if anything, this fall. If, they, if we do play, I mean, they have Shiano back, which 
Um, I think we'll take a while to get going. It took a while the first time, but he's not going to just flip the switch. But uh, they have Noah Vedrill from Nebraska in at quarterback, so that should be better than what they've had because Arter Sitkowski has been pretty dreadful his whole time there, um, as have everyone else that's filled in there. Uh, But I think there's at least reason to be optimistic if you're a Rutgers fan, um, just given like the recruiting and stuff What since uh, since Shiano came back. Yeah, I mean, they've really been able to kind of help. I mean, much to our chagrin, uh, they've actually been able to fend off Syracuse, BC, uh, Pitt, some others uh, for recruits. Not really something I, I'm a huge fan of, but no, I mean, pr- props to Shiano at least for now for 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 getting all these uh, these New Jersey programs kind of right back on on their side. Uh, obviously, like you know, that that luster might wear off pretty quickly. If uh, if they crash and burn and during his first couple seasons, and I think I don't think it's guaranteed. I think he's able to obviously bring in talent there. I just think obviously the the situation that that Chiano inherits now and 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 the uphill battle that he has to face is far larger uh, th- th- than what he inherited. I, I think back in the Big East, like obviously, I, I think the the program was probably in a worse spot. <laughs> But he had the benefit of, you know, your 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 Ray Rice's of the world um, heading there, uh, I, and, and obviously Syracuse's downfall to go along with that. Um, at the time, I think now not only does he get to rescue them from being a like bottom of the barrel P five program, but doing so in one of the tougher divisions in the P five and and against you know perennial powers like Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, and even Michigan State. I, I just I, I don't see how it's feasible. Um, given like Rutgers, it's just never going to be able to catch up to those programs. Yeah, it's definitely kind of a double-barreled thing. Like the Big Ten gives you something way more enticing to sell um, than the Big East in a lot of ways from when Shiana was first there. But um, New Jersey was already being picked over by a lot of the Big Ten programs, and and even like you know Alabama will come up there, Florida, the Florida schools will come up there um, for guys. Um, that's more the case now uh, from the Big Ten powers. Wisconsin's always a presence there, et cetera. Um, and it's going to be way harder to even get to like uh, an Indiana or a, uh, you know, kind of mid-tier level in the Big Ten as long as Ohio State is what it is and as long as Penn State's rolling under Franklin. Um, obviously, Michigan's been like a disappointment, but they still, you know, they take it out on Rutgers every year, it seems like. Um, so it's definitely no guarantee. I think Shiano puts them in a better position and at least like gives them more possibility because he has his established New Jersey high school ties and, you know, it's kind of the savior of the program once around, but it's, if I don't know if it's going to be a harder job this time because Rutgers was just really awful the first time and, uh, didn't really have a history to fall back on. Um, but it definitely presents a different challenge because, um, he didn't have to deal with Ohio State every year. And that's just, I mean, that program's not slowing down at all. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think I get I get why Rutgers fans have some hope, um, and I think it's valid. It's just, like, the obstacles have changed and are maybe harder to overcome now, um, even once, you know, they start getting, like, the full Big Ten shares. I mean, I don't even know if they've gotten those yet, which is crazy to think about. Um, but, like, that helps to a certain extent. But um, it's going to be very hard to start beating those teams in, in any, you know, reasonable way. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And, you know, I, I mean, New Jersey talent's only going to get you so far. And again, if you're getting the top New Jersey talent all the time, great. But realistically, like Rutgers and, not, and no one else is really going to be able to get 
all of those guys uh, when you look at, you know, Penn State obviously being there. And again, Alabama, Clemson, whoever can really just come in and pick off guys. Um, but Dan, looking over the rest of this conference, again, all, all, all of these things just we're all just assuming that these games happen until we're told otherwise. Um, I think Ohio State's obviously the class of the league. Uh, you just look at the amount of talent they've been able to bring in. We talked extensively, I think, about Ohio State last week um, and just what they've been able to do under Ryan Day. Uh, they don't bring back a ton of starters, but it doesn't really matter um, all that much. I think realistically, like if the schedule is – if the schedule plays out as written, if, if they if they found a way to go, you know, 8-0, including those trips to Michigan State, Oregon, and, and uh, Penn State, there's not really much standing in their way from October 31st on. Um, to get to another unbeaten record, or not another, but just an unbeaten record. Ohio State's obviously just recruiting at a level that very few programs can compete with. Uh, and, and I don't necessarily think that, you know, as time goes on, and obviously now that they've, you know, gotten into kind of an Oklahoma-type rhythm with just getting, you know, top-tier transfer quarterbacks. Um, obviously, Fields was brought in last year, was brought in and, and was a starter last year. I, I just think that, that Ohio State's going to be very difficult to compete with. Um, and I, I don't really see how any team in this uh, this division, even even a Penn State um, or Michigan, who obviously have a lot of talent as well, um, are, are able to kind of knock them off that perch. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Yeah, like Penn State gets them every so often. Um, but it's usually just like, a you know, Ohio State under Urban Meyer would have like their one hiccup game a year. And it was against Penn State once or twice. I see the Iowa game, the Purdue game. Um, I assume Michigan will beat them at some point. I don't know when that will be, and it's kind of like a I'll believe it when I see it thing. But like, I do imagine that at some point in his tenure there, Jim Harbaugh will win that game. Although you know, if the NFL comes calling as a life raft, who knows? Um, but like, it's it's just so hard to see uh, a program really overtaking Ohio State as long as Ryan Day is there, and. Uh, I mean, we discussed it last week, but, you know, there have been NFL overtures, but he doesn't seem to take them super seriously. And it's also very early in his career. So it's if he's there for a long time, and he's kind of like a college lifer. Um, it's going to be it's going to be very difficult because he just seems to have taken the Meyer stuff and just rolled with it without any real hiccup or or bumps in the road. Um, but uh, and, you know, that's I mean, kind of how college football works in a lot of ways. But it is weird when. Penn State's been super successful over the last couple of years, and they've even won the won the division and that uh, especially won the conference that one year. And Ohio State still went to the playoff that year, so it's a it's an interesting situation. Um, I almost think like the the Michigan State dynamic is like the most interesting in that part in that division. Like Michigan State went to the playoff not that long ago, all of a sudden things totally fell apart. D'Antonio's gone. Um, I don't know that it's super obvious that they return to where they were. Obviously they have potential, but I think D'Antonio for a long time was getting like a lot out of a program that has some limitations and the bottom totally fell out there. And I don't think there's a guarantee that, uh, that they're able to just reclaim that under Mel Tucker or whoever comes after. 
Yeah, I think you're right. I think Michigan State's right now question mark, um, and 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 that like could be maybe the opening um, for Rutgers, at like we were talking about earlier, to maybe at least get up into that top half um, down the road. Is if Michigan State drops off, then you're looking at, you know, Rutgers, Maryland, like maybe Indiana. I mean, Indiana kind of broke through a little bit last year, um, but maybe one of those programs is able to kind of push themselves into you know, regular part of that, that, that fourth place situation. And that's still not like anything to brag about necessarily, but it is something. Um, so I'm assuming we're both on the same page that, that, that Ohio state is going to win the East. Yeah. I mean, they lose a bunch of talent, but that's every year. And Justin Fields is back. When, assuming Fields leaves after, after next year or after, uh, after the 2020 season. Um, then I think it's an interesting thing because they don't have like a plug and play option at quarterback um, lost or, you know, fall back on the recruiting a bit but um for this year uh, he has enough talent around him and the defense has done a reload i i would be very surprised if ohio state didn't win the division fair fair uh the more interesting division in this conference is the west uh, obviously um you know last year minnesota kind of had this miracle season ended up getting derailed wisconsin ended up winning the division anyway um but minnesota is probably not a one-hit wonder um they have a lot of really great skill players um, under P.J. Fleck, Rashad Bateman um, at receiver. Tanner Morgan, a quarterback, really had a breakout season last year. Uh, Muhammad Ibrahim uh, at the running back spot. Numerous other players uh, for, for Minnesota. Like We don't have to run through the whole list, obviously. But I, I think the Golden Gophers are definitely going to be like the, the you know, interesting dark horse here um, in the same way that, you know, Nebraska was kind of last year. Um, Pulling up Minnesota's schedule as we speak. Looking at this, though, like at Wisconsin, at Michigan State, at Nebraska is not necessarily going to be easy. Um, but the non-conference schedule is fairly manageable. FAU, Tennessee Tech, uh, BYU. Uh, they also have to face Iowa, uh, as they always do, um, but this time early. I think really, like, if they can get if they can get to 5-0 and before that Wisconsin game, I think they're in good shape. Um, having Michigan as a crossover is not going to help them out um, much either. I don't know. I, I think this Michigan, I think this Minnesota team is probably a top 25 squad, um, but, th- but there, there's a lot that can go wrong here over like the final month of the season too. Yeah. I, they bring back a, a decent amount. Tanner Morgan is back at quarterback after his big year. Um, I think they have some talent. I have questions about the defense where they lose uh, a decent amount, uh, including, Antoine Winfield, who was one of the best safeties in the country last year. Um, the schedule is like, you know, pretty manageable as far as the Big Ten goes. Um, you do have the Michigan crossover and the Michigan State crossover, which you probably get Michigan State at the right time, especially on the road, uh, breaking in a new uh, a new coaching staff. Um, but uh, it's just it's just a question of like, do you want to go for broke on Minnesota repeating that kind of season, uh, which, you know, obviously Flex done it at two different spots now, but he hasn't done it twice at either spot um, versus Wisconsin, which even when it seems like they've lost a bunch and they have questions at quarterback, which they always have questions at quarterback. Um, obviously they lose Jonathan Taylor, but they always plug in a new running back. Um, like they're, they're just so such the, the model of consistency. Um I just think I think it's down to those two though. I'd be kind of surprised. I think Iowa's kind of a mess right now in terms of their off-field stuff, um, and they lose a decent amount. Uh, and then none of these other teams I think have what it takes 
um, which I know Northwestern just won a division a couple of years ago when no one thought they would be like competitive. But um, I think it's really the Wisconsin Minnesota show. Yeah, I agree there. I mean, just looking at Wisconsin's schedule quick, um, you know, on top of like those, some of those question marks and offense that you mentioned, uh, the defense brings back almost everybody starter wise. They were one of the, you know, two or three best defenses in this conference last year. And one of the, you know, 15 or so, maybe 20 uh, best defenses in the country. Very good against both the run and pass. Uh, looking at the schedule, they uh, really, everything kind of gets decided by this uh, September 26th, to October 10th stretch at Michigan. Uh, they were against Notre Dame in Green Bay. Uh, and then I think that game's actually going to be played in Notre Dame. Oh, is it now? Yeah. Uh, well, in any case, um, but yeah, at Michigan and then a road game against Notre Dame and then a Minnesota game. Uh, if they get out of that at two and one or better, um, this Wisconsin team is then looking at a possible like real like playoff chance. Um, if they're if they're one and two, uh, it depends on who those two losses are to. If they end up if they end up losing to Michigan and Notre Dame but beating Minnesota, I think they're still in the driver's seat here. Um, you know, in the Big Ten West, I think overall like this is a tougher schedule ending at Iowa. Uh, never easy, but I, I think that Wisconsin does, at least at this point, um, you know, look look to continue their their virtual dominance o- over the Big Ten West. Now, there's been some breakups in there uh, with Iowa, with, with Northwestern, as you alluded to, but I still think Wisconsin's the team to beat. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I think Minnesota probably is the more exciting team. I think they probably have probably a little more talent at the, the biggest positions, but Wisconsin's defense is just such a, a stout thing. Um, Jim, Jim Leonard's been incredible at defensive coordinator there coming out of, you know, basically retired from the NFL and just started coaching. And like two years later was DC. And now is probably like going to be on some head coaching short lists. If there are, you know, programs that are looking at defensive coordinators. Um, it's just impressive. Uh, I think I'd probably give the slight edge to Wisconsin just based on the established, uh, kind of churn of that program versus Minnesota having to replace a bunch on defense. Um, and then the schedule, like you said, obviously they have a tough middle section of it, but bringing Minnesota to Madison, um, even if there are no fans, I think will be in, uh, you know, a help. And then um, obviously it's just about surviving that Michigan game, but, you know, Michigan has its own questions this year. They're breaking a new quarterback. Um and I, I never really know how to pick between Wisconsin and Michigan whenever they play. I feel like uh, it completely goes either way. Um, but then the, the back end of the schedule is super, uh, super manageable. I mean, they could, they, they'll be favored pretty heavily, I think, in all these games, aside from maybe at Iowa, if I was a, a good, like, you know, recent Iowa team. I agree there. And uh, so I guess picking our winners here, um, do you think Wisconsin has any chance to, uh, to upend uh, Ohio State? Uh, I'd be very surprised if, if, if Graham Mertz looks, uh, or Jack Cohn, whoever wins the quarterback job, like really breaks out in a way that, uh, Wisconsin quarterback hasn't in a long time, maybe, um, I just think Ohio state's too talented and, you know, when in doubt, which I'm not really here, but if, if I was in doubt, um, I think it comes down to Justin Fields. He's just so clearly the best player in this league. He's going to be one of the favorites for the Heisman. Um, maybe, a you know potentially a number one pick if he can edge out Trevor Lawrence. Um, he's just super, super dynamic. So uh, I I think it's going to be very, very difficult to pick against him. Yeah, I agree there. I think Ohio State's defense is, is good enough. And I think that the offense is just too high-powered um, for Wisconsin to be able to keep up with. 
Um, I mean, Wisconsin benefits from the fact that, yeah, like as you kind of alluded to, Michigan um, plays like right into kind of the style of football that that uh, Wisconsin wants to play. I think a lot of the Big Ten West teams do for the most part. Um, and the teams that don't just aren't talented enough uh, to potentially keep up. So I'll, I'll also give the, the league to Ohio State. Uh, Dan, do you think Ohio State is a playoff team this year? Uh, without having looked into like all of them, I, it's it's always tough to count them out. Um, if they win the Big Ten, I think they'll be you know a better better than fifty percent chance of them getting in. Um, so yeah, I think you know odds are they're going to be one of the four early favorites. So yeah, without without having done a f- full deep dive in it, I think they're uh, you know a very 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 strong favorite to be one of the teams. Totally, I completely agree. Yeah, and I, obviously, like I didn't expect uh, you to be able to dive into all of it yet. I think we'll just kind of go conference by conference and see if there's anybody on that list. Um, who could potentially be a playoff team. And then once we get to the end of our ACC preview, when we're done with these conference, um, you know, looks, we can kind of give us, give, give our, our top four, um, assuming the playoff is still happening in some way, shape or form. I, I do think that Ohio state is, is the most likely uh, playoff team from the big 10. I think Wisconsin's probably the second most likely, even if Michigan and Penn state are probably more talented. Yeah, I mean, I think you could maybe make the argument that Penn State's the second most likely because that would involve, if they beat Ohio State, they'll be right. a pretty strong favorite over Wisconsin, I think. But, uh, you know, that group, I think those three are, are clearly standing uh, a little bit ahead of Michigan and uh, Minnesota, um, depending on what happens with Minnesota's defense, what happens with Michigan's quarterback situation. Fair, fair, fair. Uh, Dan, any other uh, any other thoughts this week before we head out? No, hope Rondell Moore is uh, back this year for Purdue. Uh, Dang. Which you mentioned because he's maybe the most fun player in the whole conference and totally derailed their season last year when he got hurt. I hope the New York Giants find a way to pick him. That'd be fun for anyone. I mean, I would say the Packers, <laughs> but they've decided they're never drafting wide receivers again, so I'm going to assume they won't. Win you guys. <laughs> just just, just have the, the Aaron Rodgers uh, pass interference and, uh, and Hail Mary offense. It'll work. I mean, it works more often than it should. <laughs> I would like to, you know, actually have some talented players around him to throw the ball to you, but it is what it is. Even as a non-Packers fan, I would agree. Uh, it, it's more fun when Aaron Rodgers is surrounded by talent. Yeah, not that I don't enjoy him constantly throwing to a, a you know, a melange of uh, fifth-round picks and undrafted free agents, aside from Devontae <laughs> Adams. Um, but, you know, we trust the process, I guess. I think that's all you can do. Uh, in any case, uh, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Troy Noon's An Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, Megaphone, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Overcast, wherever you may listen to podcasts, and go orange. Go orange. <laughs>